You're listening to The Magnet Podcast. Great. Hello. Welcome to The Magnet Theater Podcast. I'm your host, Louis Kornfeld. My guest today is Lane Quetteris. Hello. Hello. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Lane performs on Tuesdays with Public Pool as part of Musical Megawatt. You can also see her as well with the sketch program with the executives. Mm-hmm. This is an interesting conversation because you and I are both longtime performers here at The Magnet, and yet our paths rarely cross. As a matter of fact, we just officially met for the first time not five minutes ago, though I've seen you many times around the theater. Yeah, I've literally walked by you, I feel like, many a time and yeah. whatnot. But yeah, because of like straight improv and musical improv and sketch can sometimes be a little isolated. It's funny how that'll happen. Yeah, I was thinking about it on the way here of like the kind of interesting community within a community within a community that exists. Mm-hmm. So I've been here. How long have you been at Magnet? Oh, gosh. I, I don't know the exact amount. It's definitely been a good few years. I would say maybe three three, maybe four, mm-hmm. maybe longer. A good chunk of time. Yeah. Yeah. I've been here since the very beginning of the theater. Right. When we had shows two nights a week, I think. Oh, whoa. Okay. I think it yeah. might've been like a Wednesday, Thursday lineup or something. Um, so like I watched pretty much the whole improv program grow up around me. And by time everything else started going, I was like teaching on my off nights. So I like, there's a whole huge chunk of the magnet that, I'm just like completely unfamiliar with. Right. It's a very exciting thing, actually. Totally. Yeah. It's it's weird. I, I, I wish I could have been around for that when improv, it was everyone really kind of knew each other and people weren't like, oh, I've never seen that show because I've practiced that night yeah. or whatever. Um, that'd be really nice. I think the early days of the improv program at the Magnet were probably fairly similar to the early days of the sketch program where you it was a team performing for the other team. <laughs> yeah, and then basically like that's three it. parents. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it was a it was a good supportive time. Anyway, yeah. the past is the past. <laughs> so, uh, um, uh, I guess starting off with what brought you to the magnet to begin with. Um, well, I should also say, along with uh, uh, the shows that you perform with here at the Magnet, mm-hmm. um, uh, Lane has also been a part of Characters Welcome at UCB. Mm-hmm. Um, do you still perform at the Pit? Uh, yes. Okay. The title of team. Title of team at the yeah. pit. It's a musical improv team like every other week. Cool. So, yeah. uh, and you also have, uh, um, a, an extremely lengthy, uh, credit list. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Movie and online and television appearances. So there's a lot of stuff to catch up on. So let's start okay. with Magnet and then we'll work our way backwards from there. So what brought you to the, what brought you to the world of live comedy? Um, yeah, so I totally, um, I started out doing more musical theater. Um, I studied at the Boston Conservatory and I always knew I loved performing and I always enjoyed the comedic side of performing, but, um, you know, it, it was really in, uh, it was one of those classes with uh, casting directors where they tell you different different suggestions to help you out. And they were they were saying, you know, you guys should really take improv. It looks really great on your resume. And so I, I literally took an improv class for that, for it to look good on my resume. And then I got there and I was like, oh, I love this. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was right during the Del Close Marathon. I was in level one. And I remember just going to shows at 3 a.m. alone, like sitting on the stage and just like gleefully smiling and having an amazing, amazing time. Um, So yeah, I just kind of got drawn right in and I found it to be even more of a community too that I enjoyed, uh, more so than even the theater or musical theater community. Mm -hmm. Um, Just like even more supportive, 
uh, yeah, it was just really, really great. And I felt just really at home right away. I, I, you're not the first person, um, who I've talked to on this show who mentioned that exact thing. And I'm curious about that because it seems like, like a regular theater community would be super supportive too. Yeah. Well, I think, I think maybe also musical theater maybe has a slightly less supportive thing going on. Um, I think maybe even girls and men, um, women and men, um, because it's all about, it's a lot more about like skill level and you kind of, you're literally competing against each other. If you Mm. go into a dance call, you know, you're dancing next to each other and you're basically trying to outdance each other and look better and who's kicking higher. And you're also waiting online and you're hearing people sing songs. And, you know, there's this kind of mindset that I don't love in musical theater. That's like, Ooh, who can like belt the highest or kick the highest. Um, and it's very, this like, there's a big phrase is like belt your face off. (laughs) And it's this, like, it's always about like more and like showiness and, there's a lot of fitting of molds, unfortunately, too. And, yeah. and that's because it's, I mean, it that has to happen. If you're if you're going into like a massive show, it's literally like you're being slotted into a machine and you're being put into a track to the point where you even have to like fit certain costumes and whatnot. Um, and so you're kind of just like this cog in this like massive wheel that's already turning. So I don't know. I think for some, for some reason it kind of causes people to maybe have sort of more limited views of what they can do or what is available to them mm-hmm. as opposed to just kind of like having their own journey. Well, it's probably also like the, the lore of actual work coming out of it probably makes a really huge difference too, because it, it like the, the more improvisational world is interesting. I read a book not too long ago about the history of um, like stand-up comedy and, mm. and like the early stand-up clubs, which kind of go back to, like after hour clubs for Broadway people to kind of hang out and blow off steam and perform for each other and entertain each other in like a low pressure environment. Um, And then among that, so it was a lot of like singing for each other and like kind of cabaret stuff, but not acts. It was like after people would be done with their show at midnight, they would go score two drinks and then go sing their hearts out late into the night. Oh, that's cool. And then among that, like old vaudevillians would like entertain with their jokes and stuff like that and kind Mm -hmm. of stand up was sort of warm. And it kind of feels like the improvisational theater community kind of has its roots in like that idea of like a hangout place that eventually turned into a sort of like uh, cultural institution or like artistic movement too. Right. So yeah. it's a much like more laid back quality, even though you do slowly become very skillful and you do slowly become very good. Uh-huh. It, it the fact that there's no real work to be had. <laughs> yeah, so you're totally. not really competing for. I mean, you're competing for like slots on teams, but there's a world of difference between that and like being slotted into a show and having a paid gig for six months. Well, that's the other thing too, right? It's like you're competing for a slot on the team, but you can also just go do an indie show, which is basically like sort of a similar thing. Just you yeah. may have to work a little harder to get an audience there, but. Yeah. You know, you're yeah. You're not like, oh, I could feed my family with this improv gig. Usually, there there are some that can do it, but yeah. I think I think that's a huge part of it too, for sure. Yeah. Um, there's not like an exact description and like that part you want it yeah. as well. So, I guess we're also like very spoiled in the improv world because of how like everything that you play is like organic to you. You you are the creator of every character you ever totally. create. So it just fits your style very beautifully. Mm-hmm. How 
do you enjoy when you are, well, I guess first off, how many, how much like scripted work do you do outside of now purely comedy work? Um, so scripted work, that's not comedy or anything Uh, outside of like, um, yeah, anything. Okay. Um, yeah. I mean, I've mostly more been doing like TV and film, like Mm -hmm. a lot of just like under fives and that kind of stuff is, has been, has been my jam, which has been great, especially when you're sort of emerging in that world. You have to just like keep doing like those little fun kind of side gigs. Like uh, I, uh, as as a lady, especially as a blonde lady, um, I play a lot of sort of, uh, uh, snobs and, uh, and dum-dums. <laughs> uh, again, as, as the difference between improv and, and sort of scripted stuff is there's typing, right? And they always talk about like, what's your type? And, you know, when I was in the musical theater world, it was, uh, play the ingenue and, um, uh, which is just the kind of girl. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's basically it. Who, who usually falls in love or something. Um, but at least now I've got more specificity yeah. <laughs> snobs and dum-dums, uh, um, but they're fun. I love playing snobs and dum-dums. Do you like, what's your approach to, do you like, are you at the point where you're enjoying putting different spins on different snobs and different dum-dums? Yeah. Yeah. There's, you can definitely have a lot of fun with it for sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, any, uh, sort of broad, uh, type, you can always find specificity or even fun kind of, um, uh, layers to, um, and a slightly different take. And usually, I mean, the casting directors, usually that is what they want is, is you not just playing the total obvious. So there's that to be said as well. I mean, so often it's, you want to play against your first, um, instinct, mm-hmm. um, because usually your first instinct is the most obvious, the most broad choice. Um, so that's, that's always fun to do. And generally when I take a class or when I audition for something and I do it one way, they usually give me, you know, that kind of direction. And it suddenly the scene becomes way more alive and you're like, Oh, as you're doing the scene. So that's nice. Can I ask a really stupid question? Yeah, please. When you're in an audition and, uh, they hand you a script and you have, five minutes to prepare something. Oh yeah. And they say to you either make a choice with this mm-hmm. or take a risk with it. Mm-hmm. What do you do? Cause uh, when I hear make a choice, I'm sure I must make choices. Cause I've been like, I'm still around. So I'm clearly making some kind of choices. Yeah. I don't know what anybody means by that. And then my choices are poor choices. So what do you like? How does your brain operate when you're making choices? What are you looking for when you're given those scripts? Uh, I mean, first of all, when I'm giving it, I'm just trying to also, take the, the lines in and be able to obviously do it as off book as possible. Cause, um, although that's also just a, a muscle memory thing, you can learn to kind of take in the line and look up. But, um, as far as choices go, it really depends on the script, I think, but I think, uh, yeah, maybe when you read it, you'll have the first reaction. Um, and then you'll think about it for a second and be like, Oh, this would actually work better this way. Usually playing the opposites always works. So if, if, I mean, the classic acting note is if the character is crying, you're supposed to play not trying to cry, right? Mm. Like you're the, the, cause as a person, that's usually what we're doing. Um, so usually if it's like a scene where they get really angry, chances are you're just trying to keep lid on things and, um, you can be more successful or less successful. Um, but usually, uh, definitely having, uh, an arc app, you know, happen in that scene, obviously mm-hmm. of, of ending, 
if it ends one way, okay, let's maybe start this way. Um, as long as it makes sense and it, you don't come across as a total crazy, unless it's a crazy role. How, how second nature has that gotten to you? Um, it's still, I still need to think about it. Yeah. I think, yeah. Um, yeah, I think, I think I definitely don't lay into a, an emotion super big up top necessarily. And I think that's usually the the right way to go. Like you can make a strong choice without being melodramatic, yeah. but yeah. I'm going to ask you some really nerdy technical questions Great. Okay. if you don't mind. No, let's go for it. Uh, um, so you're handed, you're handed sides. <laughs> Uh, um, you're given however long you're given to look at the sides. Let's say, how long would it be on every like three pages? Um, yeah, yeah. Usually they're about three or so pages. Um, and usually you're given like a day. Okay. Sometimes so, they do hand it to you though. You're like, oh, I'd like to read you for this other role too. Can yeah. you just do this? All right. So let's say they give you a day to look at three pages of sides. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, what are you thinking about as you're studying those three pages? Uh, I mean, apart from like how you're going to perform it, like what kind of questions are you asking of those three pages? How are you like, how are you orienting yourself towards it? Um, I'm just trying to take any clues from either the breakdown uh, of the character that they usually give you as well as um, within the scene. So sometimes uh, I'll, it, it, I wish I had like an example of like a specific role um, that I can, that I could do. Um, trying to think of something specific here. You know, I mean, sometimes a lot of time they're really straightforward to, to be honest, like, especially if it's a smaller role, it will be very straightforward. But, uh, that being said, um, you just think about it as you would like a normal human would be in that situation too. Mm-hmm. I think, I think a lot of it is just that as well. You know, um, you don't, even though you are handed maybe even something that is a bit of a type or a stereotype, um, you're going to still want to like live in that obviously just as you would in an improv scene. Um, so I think just the the big thing is connecting, getting what you're wanting out of the scene. Mm. Um, I'm not big on, I don't love how acting teachers get really snobby and like, I I hate, I always hated, and I shouldn't say that they're always snobby, but, um, when they like make you write out like a big long history for mm-hmm. me, I don't think that's helpful. I know some people they find it helpful. Sometimes I find it's like a bit masturb- masturbatory. Yeah, I um, find it very distracting. Yeah, because it gets me overthinking in all the wrong directions. Right, and uh, it gets me o- thinking about things that I can't possibly physicalize or perform for you. Yeah, and now I'm completely inhibited and and kind of cut off. Yeah, exactly. So I mean, what's really interesting is. Uh, the way a casting director will direct a scene compared to an acting teacher. It's so different. It's so much simpler and clearer when a casting director gives you a note. It's just like, oh, do this thing. And you're like, oh, great. Yeah. Um, so I think usually thinking in simpler terms and just kind of, I, I don't like write little teeny tiny notes all over my script or do anything like that. I kind of just pull whatever clues about this character would seem that way. For instance, like I was assigned a scene in a class and- it's funny because a lot of the the sort of stage directions were she slams her arm against the table and like she's really angry. And sure and I'm like, huh. and what's funny is I was like, you know, I'm supposed to play the opposite, but I guess I'm supposed to play it this way because the stage directions say this. And so sure enough, I do it that way. And I pretty much start at like a I'm not having this kind of place because it was also like 
right after a, a late night and to the point where in the sides, they're like, just so you know. So it's like, okay, this is like the place she's in. She's like tired and she's already frustrated by this person. And sure enough, um, and she's a type A personality that keeps everything perfect. So sure enough, he's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> like play this, like, nope, everything's fine. You know, mm-hmm. and then you crack here. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, see, there you go. So that's a good direction. And you just hit the I table. I just hit the table like the scene. Look at that. <laughs> this is my second time hitting that table. Uh, I don't know why. It's a conventional size table. Yeah, I think I just like, I really like to gesticulate, I it's, guess. Well, you got passionate as you were explaining yes. the acting class. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, yeah, I don't have a hell of a lot of experience with legit acting teachers outside of like the couple of classes I had to do in, in college. Mm-hmm. But um, I'll share with you my my uh, 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 crusty, <laughs> yes. cynical perception. <laughs> I kind of picked up a lot of talking for the sake of talking and a lot of making things way more complicated than was necessary. It was like yeah. adding the time out. That yeah. was kind of my takeaway. Totally. And I mean, I think it's, I think it's good to kind of explore and obviously go deep into characters, but I think there's a certain level of just do it. Yeah. Like we we naturally, we know how to play pretend. Like that's what acting is, right? And improv, it's just like playing pretend and we do it all the time when we're a child. Yeah. And it's just comes totally natural to us. Uh, living's kind of playing pretend really the whole time. If you think about it, you can kind of act however you want to act depending on the group of people you're in, right? We're all like human chameleons, how we do that. Like everyone's a little different depending on the people they're around. Mm-hmm. So we kind of do that naturally anyway. It's like a social evolutionary thing we do. We do it without picking up on the exact cues that are triggering us to change our role. Yeah. We kind of like it's sense ourselves subtle. unconsciously slipping into another characteristic. And sometimes you get trapped in these kind of painful characteristics. Like sometimes you'll find yourself being the shy person at the table, not knowing why you can't open your mouth, not right. knowing why you don't have access to all the stuff that you really know and all the charm that you really have. Yeah. It seems like so much of acting is just becoming aware of those cues and being able to replicate them for your own purposes, for your own fun and profit. Oh, yes, profit. Well, pro- I use profit really, really lightly. Yeah. Uh, as in barely making a, a living wage. Yeah, or just, uh, I mean, it doesn't have to be money, profit. Yeah. Well, yeah, profit in the sense of uh, a true wealth, mm-hmm. a life well lived. I don't know. Yeah, great. Yes. <laughs> So how long have, have you known that you wanted this to be the life that you were going to have? Um, since I was pretty young, actually. I went to an art school in middle school and in high school, like a magnet a magnet school. It's um, like destiny. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it was uh, – I, I grew up in Florida mm-hmm. in Boca Raton. Uh, most of my life I originally was uh, born and raised in Upper Saddle River, New Jersey, but we moved when I was nine to mm. Florida. So the majority of my sort of adolescent years, when you're thinking more about what I want to be when I grow up for that, I wanted to be a veterinarian, I think maybe, mm. but that would have been horrible. Why? Well, because I like animals. One, I, I don't think I'd be able to, to do that much studying oh, um, sure, yeah. of just that, but also just, I mean, yeah, you get to like pet the animals, but for the most part, you just have to do horrible things to the animals. Right. I mean, whenever I bring my cat, he just wails the entire time he's oh, no. there. And he just hates it, even when they're not doing something painful, let yeah. alone if they have to do something painful to him. Yeah. 
So yeah. All right. So it was a smart choice outgrowing the desire to be a veterinary. You you knew early that you weren't prepared to see the the heavier side of it. Yeah. Or maybe I could have sucked it up, but I'm glad I didn't. (laughs) No, yeah. You probably chose a good path. I think probably, I want, I bet like, I bet like people who, I I bet you know early that you are committed to being a veterinarian. I bet like the seeing animals in pain triggers a totally opposite response in someone who knows that their destiny, the path they're meant to walk is veterinary medicine. Totally. Anyway. Yeah. They probably have a more medical mind. I don't, I, I'm just like, look, that cat is cute. Yeah. It's more like that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I like lose control of myself when I see cute animals around. What's your favorite animal? Uh, oh boy. I mean, I love my cat who is like a Cornish Rex. Mm-hmm. He's, um, sort of, I'm I'm not necessarily a cat person though. I just grew up with cats. Um, I love dogs, but uh, my cat is a Cornish Rex, which is like a, they're like the hairless cats, but they have a little bit of fur and it looks real weird. Like, um, uh, uh, like patchy fur or like they're, they're, they're covered, their whole body's covered in fur, but just like a thin, thin layer. That is, And it's almost sheep-like. It's got like a little bit of a wave to it. So his tail looks real rat tail like. He also has those big ears. Yeah. Like a, like a, um, like a sphinx, the hairless cat do. Sure. Sure. So it kind of looks like a little alien. That's interesting. Yeah. Or a kangaroo. It kind of looks kangaroo like. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Ah. He's great. Nice. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, he's like my little baby. He will cuddle anyone and he also will run up to any animal and be their friend. How old is he? Um, he is 11 now, I think. Uh, how do cats age? What's, uh, I've never owned a cat. It, it's not like dog ears, right? Uh, I don't, I mean, we just made that up so yeah. that we could understand. Yeah. <laughs> I think, I think cats, yeah, they're, they do the around like 16 to 18 ish. Okay. Um, so yeah, he's, he acts like a, you'd think he was two. Yeah. Um, so yeah. That's my personal aspiration as well. To not two necessarily, but I'm hoping when I hit like when someone sees you, be like, "Oh man, he's he must be two years old." What a youthful man <laughs> that is! I'm Got hoping it. I'm like seventy, but people are like, oh, "He acts like he's like toddler forty." And I'll take forty. I'll <laughs> You'll take forty. Yeah, because toddler would be like something's wrong with you. Well, yeah. But if if you're acting, and I don't mean acting like, um, I don't mean like never leaving a midlife crisis, or you know what I mean, like not knowing how to like dress your age. Mm-hmm. I just mean like, oh, there's like a youthful quality to this person. There's right. a, they've never lost their sense of playfulness. I get that. I, I definitely, I think I'm, I'm one that does that as well. Yeah. I, jo- I enjoy doing that being sort of youthful and lighthearted. Yeah. It's good. It's the, it's it, the, the hallmark of a healthy mind. Mm-hmm. Would you describe yourself as playful? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I like, I like to act like a monkey. Uh-huh. Um, I, I do like, like aerial silks and pole dancing even. Really? And it's literally, I was, I was doing it the other day. We had, there was like a big, the Halloween party. Um, and I was there and, I, uh, with, with, uh, uh, Brian, my, uh, my boyfriend and we, I was just like, I was just showing it. I was like, look what I can do. <laughs> and I was just climbing it. And it literally is like me just enjoying acting like a monkey. Yeah. Um, cause it's really fun. The, this was a Halloween party where at a studio? Yeah. At like called, a, at a, at like a silk studio? Uh-huh. It's called body and pole. It's right by the magnet. It's on 27th between 6th and 7th. Really? Mm-hmm. 
I would imagine a Halloween party, a silk studio would be a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. They are. Unfortunately, we had to leave because he had Inspirato that night. Oh. So we had to leave before things really got going. Usually they have a big show. We went last year and I was yeah. like, they put on this amazing show and yeah, everyone's dressed up and you can try out stuff on the polls. So I was teaching my friends fun moves. It was pretty funny. That's awesome. How yeah. long have you been doing that? Um, I've been doing it for, I think about two years now. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Uh, I had a crash course in silks once. Really? Yeah. I, I, um, I, I became friends with a, a magician slash like Cirque du Soleil performer. Uh-huh. And uh, so he gave me like a crash course on like working the silks with him. Cause he, he'd like devised this, this bit for his show where I would be his body double really quickly. Okay. Which is really stupid because my body looks nothing like his. He had a great body and I, I do not. Um, it didn't work out, but in the process of him trying to figure out how to use me for his magic trick, he taught me a bunch of magic and then taught me like a real quick, like flipping down the silks. Oh, thought geez. I was going to die. Yeah, wait, that's like not something you teach right away. He was really excited. Uh, oh he had goodness. he had what he thought was a great idea and wanted to like teach me as much stuff as possible. Wow. He was a really nice guy, but it was terrifying. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't learn like any kind of a flip or any kind of a thing where you would have to catch yourself or do anything quickly up yeah. high till well, well far into the, the classes, yeah. <laughs> at least a good few weeks, if yeah. not a few months. Understandably so. Yeah. You got to like build up your strength and just feel comfortable <laughs> yeah. and like set everything up correctly. Cause yeah, stuff can go super wrong with silks. Yeah. It, it felt like being handed the controls to a plane. Uh-huh. To be honest, I don't know how to use this thing. It's very deceptively simple, the silks. <laughs> and at the time I wasn't doing yoga yet, so I had no upper body strength whatsoever. So it was oh, just a man. recipe for disaster. But yeah. it was uh, two super cool weeks hanging out with this guy. Did your forearms hurt real bad? Real bad. And they were like burned. I had like I had oh, like no. silk burns on them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Scary. Yeah, Exciting. No, again, like you shouldn't be slipping on the silks. I mean, it, obviously, because you, you get a burn otherwise, yeah. but- that's like a thing they try to avoid. I'm sorry that, that that was like more than a crash course. That was like a really actually crash into things course. It created a great memory. Great. It was good. I am not playful. I'm very like uh, uh, dry and like playfulness is not like, I'm not like cut from that cloth, but I will tell you uh, um, every now and again, I'll be in a yoga class, usually like a, a one where we get to like hang from the Angar wall. Yeah. And the thought will occur to me of like, this is just good, silly fun. Yeah. It's just fun to move around and like be upside down and climb things that I that I didn't know I could climb. How joyful. Yeah. And we used to do it all the time as kids. Yeah. I, I think, I think I mean, even kids that are were more, oh, I want to kind of sit and read kids. Um, I feel like everyone sort of enjoyed a certain level of rolling around, at least on the floor. And we don't roll around on the floor anymore. That's true. There's like, there's rolling around. There's the climber kids. Mm -hmm. There's the kids who can tuck themselves away in really small, tight corners. Yeah. There's the kids who can kind of improvise weird hidden spaces in public view. (laughs) You know, like, there's like all these like different, I wonder if that like gives like a pretty clear, I wonder if like the climber kids versus the under the table kids grow up to be like extroverts and introverts. Yeah, that would be interesting. Hmm. We should do a study. And there is like a parallel and those of us who are spending our lives in some branch of theater where we're kind of doing the same thing too. There's like a certain amount of like emotional energetic contortionism we're we're Mm -hmm. doing there's a certain amount of like taking your weird under the table private world and like putting it up for other people to look at a little like diorama reality yeah this is fun 
<laughs> yeah, definitely. So you went to art school for junior high school, art yes. school for high school. Yeah, we really. And uh, a career in performance was in the cards for you pretty much from nine years old. Um, I think so. I think I, I yeah, I, I definitely wanted to do that, but there was a huge part of me that was so scared. That was just super, super scared. I wouldn't be able to do it. Um, so I'm glad I've been able to make it work. Yeah. Um, because yeah, you have, I mean, I, I had so many friends that their parents told them, um, I, I mean, I, I have one, one of my very good friends, her, her father wouldn't let her even just take theater classes or do any of that stuff. We would take this, this really long class on Saturdays, um, with this wonderful woman named Miss Dolly. And she was, she's like, who really helped shape me as far as theater goes. She was awesome. And I spent every Saturday with her since I was, I would say 11 at least until I was 18, until I went off and I still visit her whenever I go home. Um, but this, this one friend of mine, um, her dad didn't want her to even take those classes. Cause he's like, I don't want you to get that idea in your head that you can do this, mm. which is so crazy. And I feel like that's a lot of, a lot of parents do that. You yeah. know, they, they just want to see you be okay. So because of that, they kind of give you really restrictive guidelines for you to follow. Yeah. It's understandable, like in like an insurance sense of like, you don't want. Totally. You want your kid to make practical yeah. choices and, you know, plan for their future. But like yeah. what a horrible mind cramping yeah, but cramping. no hobbies. Don't even have it as a hobby. Yeah, it's, it's like surely there's something to learn just in like learning how to like better perform around people, relate to other people, yeah, well, stretch just, yourself. Just like with improv, how it's being taught at so many business schools or any kind of jobs now more and more doing it. And they're finding it's helping humans because it's just teaching us to react and listen to others around us and get creative. We want, our minds want to be creative. What I always found in like theater classes or like theater camps and stuff as a kid was um, like as a kid, you get kind of like stereotyped into a role in school a little bit. There's Mm -hmm. kind of like the pack, uh, uh, it's like the pecking order of the pack and everyone kind of has their place. Yeah. And there's usually like one school trip a year where like, pack changes a little bit for in my junior high school it was the trip to medieval times is always where the new couples would form or break up and then that would like change it's a weird thing but that's where it would happen uh, um and then like the the theater camp or theater classes mm-hmm. would be sort of the place where people could kind of drop their normal roles mm-hmm. and explore relating to each other in ways that were kind of not really possible because I hang with this click you hang with this click Right. I'm, I'm a brain, you're a, you're a cheerleader or like whatever it is. Right. Yeah. And then in the theater class, it, it kind of like is equalized because you're stretching out and playing all these different roles and you're playing all these idiotic games with each other. You, you make each other laugh and, and I don't know, you learn how to not be so limited to like one role. Mm-hmm. Totally. Cause you're literally playing different roles. Yeah. That's what you're doing. Um, also you're getting to do that with your brain in a fun way rather than, I mean, our brains, I think naturally want to create stories about things and we can very easily, um, do that in a fun, safe, supportive environment, or we can do that about people around us and create huge paranoias and neuroses. So let's, let's do it the fun way, huh? 
<sighs> what a deep rooted drive there seems to be in so many people to aggressively not have fun or have any pleasure in anything. Yeah. And to be pissed off at those who, who do. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Once, well, you know, it's learned behavior. And once, once you start to do something, you just continue to really go down that path. So yeah. Ooh. that's why we're, we're doing God's work. Yes. God's work of, of making fart jokes and, <laughs> um, but yeah, I do think like just being silly is, is a really important thing, uh, to be able to do and, and whatever your humor is too, you know, it more, some people are more goofy than others, you know, it's there's, that's the fun thing too, is humor is can, it's such a wide spectrum. Yeah. So you end up in the Boston conservatory. Of music. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, was there like, what what are like the what were like the the um the shows or the artistic experiences that like left the impression on your brain that kind of sent you sent you going in your direction? Is there mm-hmm. like are there movies or shows that you saw that really made you inspired? Um yeah, I mean when I left there I was still just on the musical theater track. Yeah. Um I one of my favorite musicals of all time and I got to do it my senior year which was awesome is you're in town. Oh yeah. Just so, it's so funny. And it's basically like a sketch or an improv yeah. scene, you know, it's, it's the game of the, this, the show is that it's this very lame is esque type high stakes thing, but it's really about peeing and about people not having the right to pee where they want to. <laughs> uh, musically it hits all of the emotional highs of something like lame is too. Yeah. If you just listen to the music, it's really, emotional and beautiful. Yeah, it's gorgeous. But the um, story is so silly. It's so silly, but you still care about the yeah, characters. Totally. It's totally. I mean, it's like it's a perfect like no wonder I found myself like falling into the sketch and improv world cuz yeah, of course, like my favorite musical show is almost like a one giant really well-crafted sketch with beautiful music. Yeah. Um that's kind of the fun thing about musical theater is it lets you feel really big feelings. Yeah. But at the same time it it's incredibly silly. Yeah, you don't have to take it seriously, nonsense. but you can feel the strongest, deepest, biggest feelings and, and, and yeah, yeah exactly that. Yeah. Totally. The the thing I also always think about musical theater is a lot of people are like, oh, I didn't like, I feel like they're, the shows aren't as strong. And I'm like, well, yeah, you're making like five different things come together and be good. Yeah. You know, you go to see just a straight play, you're just seeing like the acting and the directing and you know, there's, there's other elements as well, but you're having people who have to sing, who have to act, who have to dance a lot. Um, the writing of the music, the writing of the book, you know, and the direction all coming together. So I feel like a lot of times you either have something that's incredible or something that you're like, yeah, it wasn't that good. Yeah. Well, what's the complaint? What are people complaining about is not being, not being good? Um, I think a lot of times maybe stuff can be cheesy. There's, there's that aspect. Or, yeah. But if you don't, if you can't stomach a little bit of cheesiness, don't, don't go see a musical show. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Cause they're going to sing and dance. That's, yeah. That's you, what's going to happen. There's a certain, there's gotta be a certain enjoyment of like over the top. Uh, this is going to be over the top. Yeah. I think maybe, I think it's hard sometimes for people to accept things that are stylized. Mm. Um, Cause they're like, this is not believable. And I'm like, okay, but you, you watch like a movie about, machines that transform into right. cars and humans. Like, come on guys, right. let's, you know, if we're going to do that, then let's, let's think about it with these things. I guess they're just so used to it with movies and whatnot. Yeah, I guess it, it, there is, I don't know. Yeah. There's a way that movies have kind of over time polluted our, our sense of just like enjoyment of, of, uh, exaggeration. Yeah. 
Yeah. We're, we're used to that kind of exaggeration. And I think, uh, if you're not used to it with musical theater too, that's a whole other different, I mean, it is a different thing that you're maybe not used to. And I can understand it being sort of a weird genre. You're not, you're not adjusted to. Yeah. I always thought that even if a musical show wasn't the most amazing story in the world or didn't have the most compelling acting in the world, at the very least, it left you kind of buzzing with a little bit of a good time. Of You usually hear pretty decent music, so yeah. you get something for your money. Yeah, there's always at least something. I feel that way a little bit with musical improv even. Yeah. It's like, even if it's not the best, at least they're singing and hopefully in harmonies or whatnot. Yeah. So that's always nice. Yeah. So, yeah. Or at the very least, you get carried away by a show that makes very little sense, but the cast had a wonderful time creating something that makes very little sense for you. Yeah. And that's that's great. Yeah. I'll take I'll take that. Me too. Over like a dreary, serious piece of important theater that's good for you. <laughs> yeah. It's horrible. Totally. Yeah. And there are dreary musicals out there and and they can be they can be also very, very dreary. Yeah. Um, because it is already heightening that. So sometimes when it's like, oh my God, okay, everyone's just gonna die. All right. Jeez. That's no fun. No. <laughs> but it's okay because this story is very good for you. Yes. This story is like medicine for you. People dying? Yeah. yeah it's great medicine. Yeah. Thanks very much. So so you did improv classes after being told that it would be a really good thing. You fell uh, uh, in love with improv classes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You eventually find yourself in the world specifically of musical improv. Mm-hmm. Um, are you still doing musical theater, like non-improvised musical theater now, or, or has it veered more towards television work? And it started. And it started to actually. It did. Oh, sorry. No, 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 it please. did start to veer more actually, even when I was doing a show. I will say this about musical theater, as as I was mentioning with like being kind of. The, that piece in the machinery, like a cog in the wheel. Um, I was in this show, Dirty Dancing, mm-hmm. for a year and a half. And it was an awesome show and it was amazing. And I, I also got to understudy a bunch of roles. I got to understudy Baby, who's like the Jennifer Grey role. Sure. Um, as well as Lisa, who's the sister, who sings this like crazy kooky hula song. And I got to understudy all of the singing. So it kept me pretty active because it was like, what am I going to do tonight? Um, which was great. Uh, even, even with understanding those three things, it kind of eventually theater sometimes can turn into almost feeling like a nine to five job because mm-hmm. you're doing the exact same thing pretty much, um, eight times a week, uh, you know, seven days a week. And if you put some variation on it, you will sorry, hear about days, it from someone. Six days a week. Right? Um, if, yeah. Oh yeah. You can, I mean, you can, you can have little things, but again, they literally call it for understudies shove with a love because you have to be in an exact spot saying your line at a certain speed sometimes um, because the entire show is on a literally a track. I mean, even with that show, there were two rotating parts of the stage that you had to time everything out with exactly. You were literally spinning and had to get off at this spot and walk at this point where this then raises up. I mean, it's pretty crazy how, how it, it can, it is, machine-like and that's why they can create these beautiful amazing spectacles of shows um but there are so many technical aspects to that and i mean you have to do that with film too it's just you get to do that like one day and be like great that was that yeah and very Um, piecemeal yeah not like i imagine there must be like a a pretty strong emotional arc for a show like that of 
if it were me at least, completely overwhelmed by the magnitude of it. Mm-hmm. And then finding your footing and having fun and beginning to do all these different things. And then eventually a feeling of great strength as you're mastering it and mm-hmm. executing timeless sequences and yeah. get nailing everything. And then the dipping of boredom as you can let your brain kind of check out while you just kind of go through the motions again. Totally. And it's and it's a whole other skill to kind of keep you engaged to do that because we, uh, as humans, we want change. Yeah. That's, we crave it. So, um, as I was doing that show, I had already started to take acting classes for film and TV when I was in Canada with the show. Mm. So yeah, I had already started being like, mm, I think maybe TV film, maybe that is more my deal. So I still take voice lessons. Um, I take with Jody Shelton who mm. he plays a lot of uh, musical improv shows. Yeah. Jody's there. amazing. Yeah. He's yeah. incredible and writes a lot of musicals too. Mm. Um, so I still, you know, keep myself active in that way right now, but I haven't really been doing musical theater, but I might get back into it. We'll see. So I want to go back to nerdy technical questions. So can you describe the kind of daily life of, of an under five player? What, what does, what is it like? What does a day look like when you're working? Oh, when you're working? Um, yeah, I mean it's it's pretty similar to if you were I think a larger or smaller role. You you know, you get there when you're called, which is usually really early in the morning and you um usually for an under 5 you have to bring uh oh, oh, before that you have to meet with wardrobe and a lot of times they'll ask you to maybe even bring a few items, maybe not depending um but uh you'll sometimes bring a few items with you that they'll be like, "Oh, can you bring a pair of jeans and some boots if you have them. And if you have any, I don't know, white t-shirts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so you'll show up to the fitting and you'll bring those things and they, they have fun kind of figuring out what you're going to wear. Um, and they take photos and you don't really know what outfit you're going to get until you get on set. Um, cause they send it to creative and then creative, I think picks, or maybe the top of the costuming department, um, picks. So then you show up, you get hair, makeup, um, and yeah, and then you usually go on set and do your thing. It's pretty, it's pretty, it's, I think it's pretty similar for, for everyone involved. It's just a matter of, you know, maybe you only have to be there for a couple hours, which is always nice, mm. but not always depending. All right. Sometimes you have like eight hours of sitting. Yeah. To say like two lines. Yeah. Totally. Um, yeah, it really, really depends. I mean, uh, it also depends. You might be just even in the background for a lot of that scene and you need to be there for that. Um, so there's that as well. Um, so you're being filmed, but you're kind of just, kind of just hanging out yeah. for the most part. Uh, so you've been on a ton of shows. You've been on Masters of None. You've been on Broad City. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, have you had like a particular favorite experience? Um, I think, I think my favorite one, I mean, I loved Broad City it was really fun. And Abby and Alana were really, really nice and cool. And um, again, I was only there for like part of the day and they were filming a bunch more stuff that day. Um, But yeah, I remember being in makeup next to Alana and she was just so funny. Like she was just throwing, throwing jokes my way. And it was super early in the morning and I was like, good for this girl. Like she's so nice and friendly. Um, The other really fun shoot was, I would say the characters, uh, which I did with Tim Robinson and um, what was really cool was the whole first shot was one single shot. So it was, um, very Birdman, I guess. Mm-hmm. And it, it looked beautiful and everything was 1960s. Um, it, it was took place in a casino kind of in that sort of 1960s era. 
And um, the, what was really stressful about that shoot, though, is they decided uh, last minute for me to light his cigarette. And they didn't have a period lighter, so they gave me a book of matches, and the prop master taught me this bar trick where you can, you can just holding the book of matches, if you fold it over the match, you can just flick it with your thumb and oh, it lights. Sure. Yeah, it looks yeah. so cool. However, I had to palm that that um, that book of matches the entire time. Uh, like so, a solid fifty seconds in, I had to take make it appear and do it. So <laughs> we filmed at least three or four takes of this long shot that took a while to set up. And every time it would get to it, I I wouldn't be able to light his cigarette. Oh, God. And it was horrible. And finally, I was like, Can I just do the classic? just light a match with my fingers, the just against the box. And they did have a box of matches. So I'm so glad because, yeah, I mean, trying to do a bar trick that you just learned, being under pressure, having it not set up in your hand properly because you're hiding it was, was unbelievably, it was pretty, it's funny how that was the stressful part of, you know, the shoot. Sure. Well, then now as they're resetting for the next single take of the shot, you have all that time in the reset to completely sweat what's going to happen yeah. when it's your moment again. Uh-huh. Oh, there was another time too. I remember one of the times where I tried and it didn't work. So I tried again and I got it very close to his face uh-huh. and he kind of, you know, reacted like a human would of kind sure, of this fire backing right up. By my face. Um, yeah. Even though it, I don't think it lit, um, but naturally it might. So yeah. you would back up. And I just, I remember feeling just so, so <laughs> oh, embarrassed and just like, Oh geez, what am I doing? There is something with like filming that's like a military operation. It like mm, yeah. executing it involves so many people oh with gosh. like crackerjack timing, doing so many wonderful things so perfectly. Yeah, and in New York, a lot of times it's outside in the cold. Yeah, and and the actors get to go and like warm up, and the crew is just out in it, and they can't even usually wear gloves or whatever because they have to be able to you know, mess with their equipment a certain way. And I don't know how they do it. It's incredible. So you create a lot of your own material as well. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, What would be like a typical sketch for you to work on? What what makes you laugh? Oh, um, let's see. I, uh, what makes it definitely... I write a lot of characters that I think are similar to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so my characters are often not this huge, broad place. Um, I, I definitely like messing with um, sort of ladylike ladies um, that are in a weird situation or are obviously ha- dealing with something that's not ladylike. Um, so, I mean, some of some of the characters that I've written that are my favorites are this princess character who, you know, everyone, their dream is to be a princess, right? That's what we're told as little girls through many movies and things and stories. But really a princess is kind of just like a glorified sex slave. Mm -hmm. When you think about it, they're Mm -hmm. like, they're usually traded for land to a prince who's usually really spoiled and usually not nice. And um, they're just kind of like, this is your job now. You must sleep with this man you've never met um, and create a, a child, which will then be royalty. Um, so I, that is a really fun character sort of taking that with, um, comparing it with the Disney princesses with something you might see in game of Thrones, right. um, which is probably a little more accurate to what a princess would have to deal with on a daily basis. Um, uh, another one of my 
characters that I love is um, a uh, this um, a cooking show that is done. It's like a mom's cooking show. Um, so again, it's like we have this image of this like perfect kitchen um, that we see usually in these cooking shows, but in actuality, usually your kitchen is a disaster mm-hmm. with kids running around and screwing stuff up and ingredients missing that you thought you bought. Um, so I think it's, I think a lot of it is like playing with the facade now that I'm describing the characters, I feel like it's playing with the facade that, uh, we create, um, for me, since I'm a woman, I think a lot of the time we do that, right? Like we create like, oh, this, this should look this way, but in actuality, we're just a big old mess. Um, I think that's like a fun thing I like to play with a lot. That's great. Yeah. 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 I guess a princess is really just kind of like a human guarantee that we won't fight each other, at least for the length of time that these people are alive or the kids are alive. Yeah. It's like, take this human and, and now, and now our lands are friends. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you will have this person and great. Now, now we know we are joined by you two yeah. doing it. It's funny that it's been so many years of like reinforcing this like beautiful image of like what, what little children could aspire. Yeah. Like why is that still a thing? It's crazy. Yeah. Like luckily Disney's making different stuff. I heard Moana's good. I haven't seen it, but you know, they're definitely doing not as much. Well, but even still frozen, they were, I mean, they were still like princesses. Like this idea of royalty is still so, so played with. I guess uh, it like maybe it like triggers some kind of like uh, um, pack animal status thing in our brain that we just kind of I don't know yeah I it's don't like have the an it's like the it. ultimate I mean yeah because well fantasy too right I mean having wealth having power having all those things I suppose in the society that we have created um, that is considered up there at the top yeah so. I, and also like. I'm, I'm an important person, but I'm not understood by other people or I'm important, but for the reasons that people don't understand or mm-hmm. even in a best case scenario, though, being a princess seems pretty shitty to me. Yeah. Even in the best case you can imagine, it's a lot of you're a human symbol and you sit there and don't uh-huh. seem to do a hell of a lot. Totally. You don't have many of the challenges that seem to make life so interesting. Yeah. But then you're given much, much worse challenges that most of us don't have to deal with. Right. I'm so glad I'm not a princess. Yeah, me too. Yeah. We're all not princesses. Good job. (laughs) Great job, job, everyone, not being a princess. (laughs) All right, Lane, it is time for us to play what is sometimes called getting to know each other, other times called two-person monologue hotspot. Great. Here's how it goes. I'll give you a suggestion, uh, um, uh, and that will be for you to launch into anything that comes to your mind off that suggestion. And then at any point as you're talking, I can cut you off to uh, go into my own association inspired by anything that you had to say, something honest about myself. And then at any point as I'm talking, you can cut me off. And we do that back and forth, cutting each other off, sharing stuff that we really know about life Mm -hmm. for like, oh, two minutes or so. Okay. Something like that. Lane, are you ready for getting to know each other two-person monologue hotspot? I am. Great. The suggestion is uh, 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 werewolf. Werewolf. Um, so, uh, I had an ex-boyfriend that used to call the time I would get my period werewolf time. I'm glad I don't date him anymore. Um, that being said, there were, there's a lot of funny correlations. Obviously, um, it's a monthly cycle. So it, it, it is supposed to, you are supposed to get your period when the moon is full. Um, as well as obviously the, the, the 
concept that is thrown out there that you just turn into this beast. There is a fantastic Alan Moore comic that uh, left a huge impression on me that deals exactly with that. It's a, um, it's a horror. I think it might be in his run on Swamp Thing, <laughs> but it's a horror story about uh, uh, women being forced into um, like a shelter when they're menstruating apart from the rest of the community. <laughs> Historically, this is like true. I this think. is a thing that yeah, happened. This is, yeah. They would be put into for like um, purity reasons, cleanliness reasons. It would be Just because they didn't want to get blood everywhere. Well, I, I think like spiritual purity, because I, I, you don't really get blood everywhere, but like more of a thing of like, mm-hmm. it's considered like impure to the men of the community. So the women are, are separated for the length of their cycle. Uh, but the story has to do with the uh, internalization of this unfairness and the internalization of this rage and the internalization of men projecting all of this monstrous stuff onto you. And the women actually do in this story turn into werewolves and destroy the village and kill all the men. And I thought it was a fantastic horror story. Oh, I love that. Um, I uh, Speaking of horror stories, I don't watch zombie movies um, because I find them too terrifying because if that was real it would be the worst. It's literally a walking plague that would come to get you. I realize how ridiculous that sounds, but it terrifies me to the point where sometimes when I would get up to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night, I um, I won't flush the toilet because it makes a loud noise and the zombies might hear it. I enjoy a good horror movie myself. I get exactly what you're talking about with the zombie movie. I... Um, uh, if my doorbell rings, I will immediately sit in total silence and wait for the storm to pass because I assume no one who should know, no one who would have a reason to find me knows where I live. So there's some kind of problem at that door. And my solution to that is always get as quiet as possible so that no one's aware that I'm present inside this room. The one time I did have uh, someone just ring my doorbell and show up were these two old uh, high school friends, these two guys that are just total goofy dudes that um, they literally were doing a, a catering gig near me. And with technology now, you'd think they'd send a text or call or whatever. And they didn't. They just showed up and they just rung my doorbell because I lived in a brownstone in the Upper West Side at that time. And I opened the door and it's them. And they proceeded to come in and we ended up hanging out. Uh, one of them got so drunk that he... <laughs> almost kicked my TV over. Um, so I, it was like I almost didn't allow monsters in. I had an uncle uh, who uh, is now deceased, but um, uh, he lived in Australia uh-huh. and he would periodically just show up at my front door um, to like surprise my dad. And then like, I'm staying with you for two weeks. <laughs> and it would just like happen out of the blue at like three o'clock on an afternoon, you would be like sitting around in your sweatpants and there'd be a knock at the door. And it's like my uncle and family. That's like a 37 hour, uh, um, flight. Yeah. That's it's- like something out of Christmas <laughs> vacation. Yeah. It really is. <laughs> it was always super inconvenient. Uh-huh. I made my dad really happy cause they were close friends, but I always thought that that was the height of insanity. Yeah, that straight up is. Um, let's see. I, my family, um, well, going, uh, my family still watches every year uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. And it's a fun movie, but I've got, we've watched it so much now that I'm just so desensitized to it. Yeah. Um, and my dad just, he just loves it. He just loves having it on. And 
I love how much he will bring up the same parts of that movie or really any movie and tell it like it's brand new to me <laughs> every time to the point where um, he still will play uh, Hotel California by the Eagles mm-hmm. a lot in his car. And he's just amazed and so excited about the idea of you can check in, but you can never leave. There's something about that that reminds me of being a little kid. And I, I used to have this thing when I was eating animal crackers that I couldn't eat the animal cracker until I showed it to my mom and she saw exactly which animal it was. And only then did I have permission to it. And I think it was because I was so amazed and so excited at each animal that I would discover in the box that I had to share it with somebody. And I still kind of feel that with certain like movies and stuff. And I kind of get the impulse of, even if there's a song that you've heard a million times or a movie that you've seen a million times, there's some part of you that still wants to share the excitement and enthusiasm of your felt experience with a loved one. Mm-hmm. I get that. Yeah, I I many times have have uh, definitely gotten off on making someone watch a movie that I really love just so I can watch them watch the movie. I, I absolutely love doing that. Uh, when it's something I enjoy. Of course, though, there's always the possibility that they might not enjoy it. I I had, I forced my family to watch The Princess Bride for the first time. They had never seen it. And they were all like, I don't get this. What's so great? And I was like, guys, it's The Princess Bride. It's a classic. If you want to absolutely guarantee that someone doesn't enjoy a movie. <laughs> Sit there and watch them watch it. Tell them how much you love this movie and how important it is to you that you watch it together. And yeah. that will suck all of the, that's it. It's like telling someone, I just read this book. That's true. You have to read this book. In fact, here's the book. You go ahead. You will never see that book again. And that person will spend the rest of their lives very deliberately not reading it. Mm-hmm. It's funny that we're a culture that is so based on hype. You know, that's all we do with trying to get people to see things as hype things up. But that ultimately is its demise yeah. and makes you not want to, or, or chances are either it builds it up too high and it ruins your expectations or you're like, well, we'll see if this is good. Yes, that's exactly it. it, it there's a pleasure in like discovering your own thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, yeah, the moment someone is pushing it on you, that's exactly the thing that's triggered is, oh yeah, yeah, this is great. Okay. One of, my, we'll say. one of my favorite restaurants right now is this place that I feel like I discovered, even though I found it through Yelp. So it's really like finding it through an app that basically is just hyping places up through reviews. Um, but it's this little hole in the wall place called fish market mm. down in South street seaport where I live. And, um, it's this divey divey bar that's just kind of fallen apart and they give you drinks in giant plastic cups. that are very stiff drinks. And they also give out shots of Jameson, like it's water. They literally come by and try to do at least two shots with you. And if you don't do them, with them, they're very sad. Um, and so these guys, these, these two guys that are always there, they just get drunk every single night, but the food is incredible. It's this Malaysian, uh, influenced menu. They, they have regular sort of typical, um, fried fish type fare. And then they have this Malaysian menu that they call mama's menu. That's this incredible Malaysian woman that cooks stuff up in the back. And it's so good. And I think why I like it so much is because in my head, there's no hype. It's just like this shitty looking place that ends up being delicious. Yep. And that's getting to know each other. That's (laughs) fun. Yeah. All right. Lane, we have one more thing on this podcast. Okay. It is now time for you to improvise a very serious scene opposite a jar of pickles. Okay. Today's suggestion for this scene, it comes courtesy of Twitter. 
And once again, if you have an, a, a suggestion for very serious scene that you would you would like to hear improvised, I will give you a shout out on this podcast. You will be famous in a very <laughs> limited context, but people will be aware that you are a contributing member here on the podcast, and you can uh, tweet at us. Today's suggestion comes courtesy of Abby Russell, uh, um, otherwise known. What what is the Twitter handle? Dingleberry Finn on Twitter. Lane Cordes, this, of course, is a jar of pickles. There is a jar of pickles. Oh, yeah, we do it. We go all the way. Oh, in, man, I'm so happy. There you go. B&G New York deli-style pickles. Oh, yes. So the way it works is I'm going to give you a, a, a premise courtesy of Dingleberry Finn, uh, uh, Abby Russell, um, and you'll improvise a scene for about one minute opposite okay. the jar of pickles. The only rule to the scene is if you refer to the jar of pickles, his proper name or her proper name is Jar of Pickles. It's the it. only rule for it. All right, Evan, what is our suggestion, courtesy of Dingleberry Finn, Abby Russell? I'll, I'll paraphrase it. Okay. Uh, you have to break it to your spouse that your filings with bankruptcy because your medical bills are so incredibly high, even though you're receiving disability. <laughs> okay, so Lane, okay. you have to break it to your spouse as performed by this jar of pickles that you are uh, filing for bankruptcy because your medical bills are so expensive, even though even though you're getting disability. That is indeed a very serious <laughs> situation. We take you away to a very serious scene. Listen, I, I had to file us for bankruptcy. We're, we're not able to, to make all the bills and the electric bill has been really high lately and Look, Jar of Pickles, I'm so, I'm so sorry that you've had Lyme disease. It's, it's been, it's been really, really hard. And I wish they would take this more seriously. You know, I've been battling with the insurance companies and lately I just feel like, I just feel like I don't know what to do anymore because they, they won't take what I give them. And they say that it's not a real medical condition and, I mean, we both have seen that you have suffered major, major brain damage and that you have vision issues and that it lowers your immune system <laughs> and that your your pickles, you have problems with them swelling. But there's no solution out there and I, I, don't, I don't know if there ever will be. <laughs> and now, and I know now we're just adding another stress to this already mounting issue of problems. And I don't want to stress you by, by telling you this. And I'm sorry, I actually kept it from you for a while. I filed, I filed three months ago. (laughs) (laughs) I'd say that's a very serious scene. Yay. Evan, I'm going to go ahead and say, I think this is our best serious scene opposite of Jar Pickles just yet. That was great. Lane, I'll tell you what I loved about that. I really enjoyed how you got right to it with it. Oh, like yeah. people will like beat around the bush sometimes with the jar of pickles, but I really enjoyed of like right out of the gate we had to file for bankruptcy. It's like oh, yeah. you start with the painful thing, right? That's and then how, you let it settle. That's how you. That's how you do it in real life, or yes. you should. That's exactly. Are you good at breaking bad news like that, or do you beat around the bush? I'm bad at it. I am bad at it. Yeah. I think if I prepare enough, then then I might do that. But I am I am a big. Oh, I don't want to upset you too much. I'll dance around the thing. Me too. 
Yeah. Me too. I'm a, I'm a big, maybe if I stall enough, somehow this will resolve itself or mm-hmm. I'll be smart enough to figure out a solution and I won't have to say something that's going to yeah. hurt you. Or I can like do anything I can to cheer you up with like making you food or buying you things. Sure. That's, that's another thing sure. I have to do. That's it's also good... just a fun thing to do. So. Yeah. You, well, yeah, you should, you get, okay. So you're about to get bad news. Here's a little something to make your day a little special as a compensation. Here's a that cranberry walnut right. almond cake. That's also, beautiful. I want a divorce. That's a very, they don't balance, but <laughs> you get a cranberry walnut. Yeah, it's pretty good. That's something. <laughs> That's better than not. Yeah. Lane Cordes, thank you very much thank you. for talking. Uh, uh, you have a website. Yes. Um, it's just my name, lanequetteris.com. Beautiful. Uh, uh, anything you'd like to plug? The, definitely come out to Tuesdays for public pool. Um, and, uh, yeah, the executives, I'm really excited. We're going to sketch fest Ooh, in San Francisco. That's awesome. So I'm really excited about that. Um, yeah, we just had a really fun show and, uh, last night and I'm looking forward to our, our future shows. Awesome. Yeah. Lane Quatteris, thank you very much. Thank you. And thank you all for listening. This has been the Magnet Theater Podcast. A couple of other thank yous, of course, and as always, to our producer and our engineer, Evan Ford Barden. I just recently found out it's not Barden, it's Barden. And of course, to Ed Herbstman. Uh, I recently found out it's not Ed Herbstman. It's Ed Herbstman, our executive producer. And of course, a huge thank you to all of you kind, fine, decent people for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed yourself, please give us a positive shout out on iTunes if you have a suggestion either for a monologue hotspot or a suggestion for a very serious scene opposite a jar of pickles you can tweet that at us on Twitter that of course is twitter.com check it out Uh, thanks again for listening thanks one more time to Lane Quetteris goodbye 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 you've been listening to the Magnet Podcast This podcast has been brought to you by the Magnet Training Center, where we teach classes in improvisation, sketch writing, musical improv, storytelling, and more. If you're interested in checking us out, we offer free weekly intro to improv classes. You can find out more about those free intro classes and all other classes we offer at magnettheater.com. Our podcast is available on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and iTunes. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please head over to iTunes and give us a positive rating. We appreciate the support. Also, be sure to check out the Magnet Theater for top-notch comedy shows seven nights a week. All information regarding classes and shows can be found at magnettheater.com.